0: Dear Christian friends, anytime you hear the date September 11th, 2001, instantly you are flooded with certain memories that are going to be etched in your mind and your memory for years to come if you were alive on that day. And yet, as Tragic as it was, as horrific as those events were on that day, we also reflect on the many acts of heroism that came about as a result. So that just as much do we remember the tragedy, so also do we rejoice in the opportunity that that many took advantage of to, to show what it looks like to selflessly put others first. How can you forget those passengers aboard United Airlines, the, the, the passengers that tried to, to overtake the hijacked plane from the terrorists, then ended up not only risking their lives, but sacrificing their lives so that that plane wouldn't hit its target. And the, the many stories of men and women who were trapped in the towers, those that were willing to risk their, their lives for the sake of others to help others escape before the tower is crumbled. But I wonder if perhaps the, the greatest example of heroics is, is the one that has, has stuck with me. All of those first responders who knew that the building was on fire, and, and despite the fact that, that people were clamoring to descend the stairs of that building to escape to safety, they were the ones who went up those very stairs. When people were flooding to get out of and to escape the building, they were the ones who ran into it knowing full well they might not come out. And the reason that stands out so much is that just goes against what we naturally do. We naturally look out for self-preservation. We look to protect and keep ourselves safe and yet they did exactly the opposite. And so many of them died as heroes for it. Do you rejoice in the same heroics of our Savior that were recorded for us in the Gospel this morning? Do you recognize that you will never find anywhere in Scripture any any encouragement when it comes to temptation to face it, to run to it? but rather to flee from it, to resist it, to do everything you can to get away with from it. That is the only encouragement you find in Scripture. And yet, what do we see our hero, our Savior Jesus, do this morning? Not run from, not flee from temptation, but face it, head on, as our hero. It wasn't an accident what happened in the wilderness as the Gospels record it for us. This wasn't just Jesus going about uh, his work immediately after his baptism and stumbling upon the devil that said, well, I've got nothing better to do. This was preordained. God knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Matthew makes it clear that was the very purpose. He says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That was the purpose of his going into the desert, to be tempted, willingly. And as much as we make a big deal, and rightfully so, about the cross and the empty tomb and everything that our Savior did there, recognize that those would have been meaningless if our Savior had not been able to come out of this duel in the desert with the devil victoriously. And why was it so essential that he faced temptation and overcome it? Because, as you heard in our second lesson, Paul wrote about the one act of disobedience that impacted all of us, every man, woman, and child ever since the fall in sin. But it had to be overcome with obedience. Perfect obedience. Which is why Jesus needed to succumb, give himself up to the opportunity to the devil to tempt him. Now that raises a question for us, doesn't it? It it, it makes us ask, well, realistically, is it even possible for Jesus to be tempted? After all, can God sin? Or was this already just kind of a foregone conclusion that this wasn't really a temptation on the part of our Savior? We knew that he wasn't going to fall for it anyways because he's God and God cannot sin. Well, I suppose the simplest answer to that would simply let to be scripture. Let scripture speak for itself, where the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And yet we still try to wrap our, our minds around, it, and perhaps that's where we get into to trouble to try and logically understand how God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, how He could actually be susceptible to temptation. On the one hand, God can't sin, but on the other hand, Jesus can. So sometimes we artificially make that distinction, and I've been guilty of this too, though the intention was good, to try and make a separation. To say, well, well, yes, he was tempted as to his human nature because he was a man, but he wasn't really tempted as to his divine nature. As if we can kind of carve up Jesus and say, well, he's part man and he's part God. He's, he's not, he's... He's holy God and and holy man. In fact, I wonder if maybe that unique attribute of, of Jesus, knowing that he is divine, knowing that he's also human, actually made him susceptible to temptation in a way that we can't even imagine. Because as God in the flesh, he also had characteristics, the ability to do things that only God could do. We call that his omnipotence, he's all-powerful, and his omniscience, he knows everything. So in consideration of that fact, knowing that Jesus was omniscient and, and knew this wasn't a surprise to him why he came to earth and what was waiting for him, the path of suffering, the death, everything that was waiting for him, he knew that. Perhaps that made him even more susceptible to his human nature, which was certainly able to sin, and say, if there is an easier way to avoid all of that, I'm listening. And as to his omnipotence, well, well let's, let's turn it around a little bit. How foolish would it be for Satan to come up to you or to me when we're hungry and say, hey, here's this stone. Turn it into a loaf of bread if you're really hungry. Satan would look more foolish than he already is, right? Because we don't have the ability, we don't have the power to do such a thing. It would be a waste of his time. Jesus, on the other hand, now that temptation is real because he can actually do such a thing. He actually not only could turn a stone to bread, but could have snapped his finger and laid out a beautiful banquet of endless possibilities of the most delectable food from all over the world in an instant had he wanted to. And and you better believe that after 40 days of not eating, that he was hungry. And that was a very real temptation for him. So suffice it to say, Jesus was, in fact, tempted in a very real way. And what's important to take away is that he was tempted for you and me. When we look at, when we break down these temptations, do you ever wonder really what the devil was appealing to with each and every one? The different commentators have thoughts about what really tempted Jesus in these cases. But before we look at each of these individual temptations, to kind of help us be content with recognizing I don't need to understand how Jesus could be tempted as true God and man, that's where I just let faith take over and accept it. Right? That's what faith does. It says, if Jesus was tempted in my place and overcame, then by faith, I can appreciate that blessing. Think of it this way. Um, if you have ever enjoyed any sort of superhero movie, maybe dating all the way back to, maybe I shouldn't say that, all the way back to um, Christopher Reeves' Superman or any of the modern day superhero movies that are uh, coming out all of the time. And, and you think how much you, you watch those and you just enjoy them for the sake of enjoying the superhero, right? But if you've ever watched one with, with one of those people who like throws a wet blanket on the whole movie is like, ugh, that could never happen. Oh, there's no way he could have actually done that. And, and you're just thinking, would you please stop? This is a superhero movie. It's not real. I just want to enjoy the superhero, the good guy, defeating the bad guy. And saving the day. Can we have the same approach to this duel in the desert? Can we just appreciate the good guy defeating the bad guy and saving not only the day, but eternity for us? So let's look at the first failed attempt of Satan as he approached Jesus. He comes to him with with this temptation. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What was Satan's angle here? Well, he he was really tempting Jesus to question the Father's providence, wasn't he? 40 days, you haven't eaten anything. And Jesus, let's be honest, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You've got, you got a lot ahead of you still. And if the Father isn't going to take care of you for 40 days, what's, what's to assure that he's going to forget about you in the future? You've got the power to just feed yourself. Go ahead and, and take care of it right now. Really, Satan wanted him to focus on the physical over the spiritual. A temptation that was, for Jesus, very real, having an empty stomach for 40 days. And Jesus responds, and it almost echoes what Jesus says elsewhere in his ministry, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you. Focus on the spiritual end of things, and the earthly stuff will take care of itself. God will provide for those. Jesus said it this way, he answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second failed attempt on the part of, of Satan. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan had just tried to lead Jesus to question the Father's providence. And now he was leading him to doubt the Father's protection. Again, knowing that Jesus knew full well what was ahead of him. Well, you've got a rough road, Jesus. Let's just make sure that when the going really gets tough ahead of you, you know what's coming. Let's just make sure that the Father will take care of you, that he will protect you. Go ahead and and test him in this. Throw yourself over the edge and, and let him keep his promise. But Jesus wouldn't doubt. He had full, complete confidence in the Father's protection, uh, insofar as the Father had promised to watch over the Son. And so what does Jesus reply? He answers, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Strike two on the part of the devil. And so then we move to to the final, as far as it's recorded for us, the third failed attempt on the part of Satan. Verse 8 picks it up. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. What was the devil really promising Jesus? Again, Jesus, omniscient, knew full well that once he had carried out everything that was laid out for him, perfectly obeying the Father's will, he knew that all things would be placed under his feet and that at his ascension he would be restored to his right hand of the Father, overseeing and ruling all things. Do you not think that there was some appeal here to say, wow, you could have all of that power right now and skip the tough stuff? Here, it's yours, Jesus. You, you don't have to to go through the agony and the suffering and the death. You don't have to be cut off from the Father and forsaken for the sake of of the scum of the earth here. I'll give you all of that power right here, right now. And Jesus responds to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Are you you underwhelmed or not impressed on the part of of our hero here standing up to Satan's temptations? If you think it a small thing, if if you don't uh, stand back in awe of our Savior standing up and and facing the devil and handedly defeating him, such a, a lopsided victory, if you don't appreciate how foolish Jesus made Satan look, then step back for a moment and reflect on how foolish Satan makes us look time and time again when he holds out to us any temptation under the sun. And rather than flee, we think we are strong enough to to stand there and fight as our Savior did, only to stumble, only to fail, only to fall short again. Instead of relying on and rejoicing in the Savior who stood strong, who rather than fleeing from temptation, faced it head on and overcame it in perfect obedience for you and me. This wasn't the last time that that Jesus would be tempted either. He recognized when Peter tried to deter him after revealing that he had to suffer and die. And and Peter said, no, surely not, Lord. He recognized that was also the devil trying to lead Jesus to to take the easy way out. And and of course, course in in Gethsemane, as the, the weight and the burden of the cup of suffering that he had to drink weighed on him once again, Satan wouldn't let him have an easy way out. And each time, Jesus overcame. Notice how powerful Jesus is. The last time, this third temptation, he, he simply says, away from me, Satan. And you realize that's why the temptation stopped. Satan couldn't do anything but listen to the mighty Son of God. He spoke and said, get out of here. And Satan had to until another time. So often, our temptations end differently, don't they? There was mention in, in one commentary made of the, the picture of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden in paradise compared to the temptations of, of Jesus appropriately in the, the dry, desolate desert. Because after, after man succumbed to the first temptation in the beautiful paradise of Eden, the world really was and has been ever since a dry, desolate desert. Desert. That's kind of also what Satan holds out to us in temptation. He promises paradise, right? Mm -hmm. A little of this, a little of that. And when we fall for it, when we take the bait, when we are tempted, we find that all we have been given is a dry, desolate desert. Unless we rejoice in what Jesus won for us not just by facing and overcoming temptation, but continuing resolutely to carry out righteousness for us, to end up at the cross, to say, not only have I I lived perfectly, have I faced temptation, have I dueled with the, the devil in the desert and won for you, but I also love you so much, love you so dearly, that I ended up on the cross for you. The heroics of September 11th, are, are impressive in their own right. And I think they will always be held out, and rightly so. They should be held as, as something to emulate and to celebrate. But, but the thing about each and, and every one of those acts of, of heroics was that they were carried out for, for somebody else. Our Savior Jesus, our hero, what he did in the desert wasn't for somebody else. It was for you. It was because he knew how weak you are, how weak I am. He knew that we would never stand a chance against the devil on our own. And so Jesus made the grade for us. And God looks at at our failed attempt, our failed record, and he has replaced it with the Savior's perfect grade. And says, this is now yours. The act of disobedience that brought you into sin and condemnation has been overshadowed and overcome by Jesus' act of obedience, yes, in the desert, yes, at Calvary, yes, in the tomb, and everything in between for you. Dear friends, with with that knowledge and that understanding, the next time that you are tempted, whether it's today, tomorrow, in the weeks ahead, don't think yourself so strong to stand up against it. Rejoice that your Savior did. And then, see if that temptation is so tempting after all. Amen.